Oh Lord, many of us come here this morning and you know because you are omniscient you know exactly the state of our hearts you know exactly what we need and what we need is you what we need is more of you and so I pray God this morning give us clear minds May we be undistracted and we need help. Lord, we need help to understand what it is that you have for us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we start, a couple of questions for you. One, are you tired this morning? We just had a group come back from a week-long summer camp. And surely, they are physically tired. But many of you have had long weeks, battling certain things, maybe sickness, rough week at work, many distractions. Maybe you almost didn't make it here this morning because you're just exhausted. Are you weary this morning because... Tired and weary, though they're slightly similar, weariness equates to you not only being physically tired and emotionally tired, but more importantly, you're spiritually tired, exhausted. And you know, being tired and being weary, it's normal for our day. In an article published by Safety and Health magazine stated, the obvious, I think, That Americans are more tired than ever. And that America is an exhausted nation. So much to do. So little time, right? I mean, does anyone really even get eight hours of sleep anymore? Unless maybe you are a youth. (laughs) You have no school. You're probably sleeping 10, 11 hours a day. But for most, eight hours of sleep is a distant memory. It's actually not even reality. In fact, have proven this through time. We're sleeping less and less every year. We're eating worse and worse every year. We are mentally breaking down more and more every single year. Depression is increasing every year. Use of drugs are increasing every year. Use of alcohol is increasing Every year, you know, because of the privilege and flexibility that I know many of you have working from home, which has, in a sense, become the norm, has actually caused people to work longer. Generally, we are exercising less, have less energy due to social media and the readiness and availability of technology we can Easily drown out this reality. Escape it. Binge watch ourselves until we fall asleep. Play video games. Watch sports. Play sports. We can literally entertain ourselves to death. You know, people in general, specifically Christians, are reading the Bible less, studying the Bible less. The thought of a sermon 
lasting more than 15 minutes, shocks our modern sensibilities. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Always on the move. Let's keep it moving and don't waste time. More and more professing believers finding their Jesus anywhere and everywhere except the Word of God. More and more professing believers are tempted to find their satisfaction, their enjoyment, and anything and everything that ultimately never fulfills. So dear church, is it a surprise that we are so tired? We are so weary trying to drink out of broken cisterns, never get nourished, chasing and chasing and chasing even the world's wealthiest. A constant pursuit of something. It's crazy to even fathom that one can be so rich and have so much money that they get so bored with earth. They just get bored with earth. That the next evolution, space, trying to find other inhabitable planets, it never stops. And it's exactly what the enemy wants. To distract you. Distract you with the things of this world, that this world and the things of it become an idol for you. That you're enamored with it. You invest in it. Try to find your happiness and joy in it. All the while, getting more and more tired. More and more weary. You know, billboards, billboards crack me up. You know, some of them are, are slick now. They're the digital billboards, right? Before, they're just just the big vinyl billboard. And then they became that, you know, kind of cascading. They look like a plantation shutter billboard. Now they're digital. And some of these companies, they get very creative. And, of course, we get it, right? That's the goal of the billboard, to get you to look at it. Make it compelling enough that you even remember it. Make it so compelling you may even partake in it, whatever it is that is being sold to you. It's an invitation. That's what a billboard is. The cheesier, the better. The cheesier, the better. And you know, no group of people have cornered this cheesy billboard market more than injury attorneys. Okay? If some of you here are injury attorneys, uh, this is not a slide on you by any means. But you have figured out how to market your firm. For example, just driving from here to, let's say, Davis, or from here to Roseville, or from here to even Elk Grove, you will see billboards such as, in a crash, call Ash. Okay? Here's another one. Injured, you can bank on Frank. Here's another one. Something wrong, call Ann Fong. <laughs> I heard some of you rehearsing this. It works. They didn't even pay me to do this. I should, should get some royalty or something. Or there's this other one I just saw. I don't know if it's new. I mean, maybe it's new to me. I just saw it. Drake the lawyer. You can thank me later. Understanding this is all fun, but it does convey something. I have what you need. So come to me. So dear church, Jesus, through his word, has a message for you this morning. And it is this. Come to me. Come 
to me. The title of this sermon is Satisfaction in Christ Alone. This will be part one. We'll finish it up with part two next week. So turn to our text, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25. God's word says this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this, was, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Three points will guide our discussion for the next couple of weeks. We'll see how far we get. There are these three commands. This passage has three imperatives, as it were. Number one, come. Number one, come. Number two, Take. Take. And lastly, number three, learn. Learn. And what I propose to you this morning is what the text so clearly reveals to us, that if you come to Christ, take His yoke, and learn from Him, you will find rest for your souls. So dear church, there's nowhere else you need to go. There's nowhere else you need to go. And before we dive in, I think it would serve us well to understand the context. You know, Matthew chapter 11, this is an important turning point. It's an important turning point. It's an inflection point in Jesus' life and ministry. The Jewish rejection of Christ as king has begun in earnest. The rejection of Christ as Savior that inevitably will find its climax on the cross. Jesus rebuked the people of certain cities, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. He rebuked them for their unbelief. Christ, as it says there in verse 20 of Matthew 11, did most of his miracles there, and they refused to believe. They refused to repent. They refused to humble themselves. And on the other side of our text, the beginning of Matthew chapter 12, you get the religious leaders now. Pharisees, who also refused to believe. And one would say that their offense was worse. Because not only did they turn away from Christ and not repent, but they also added more burden on people. They added more burden on them. These miracles, these signs that the Apostle John in his Gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, were performed. They were written so that you may believe these works that Christ has done. John 536, these works that testify about Him. 
that God has sent him. These cities, these religious leaders want nothing of him. Didn't believe him. This wicked, sinful, depraved heart of man on full display. Christ, Son of God, Christ, God's glory now. Manifested in the flesh, the Holy One who would come down and would pitch his tent among men would be right in front of them. And yet they were unwilling to come. They willingly chose not to believe. They were blind. They were deaf. They were dead. They were a prideful people. So much so that they also thought that their head knowledge about religious things, that that their intellectual knowledge about laws and spiritual things about God, that would be enough. And that was descriptive of the people of Capernaum. They thought their human wisdom and human offerings would be enough to to exalt them to heaven. So after doing all that he did, serving all these people, healing the sick, ministering to the brokenhearted, offering them hope of eternal life, he was rejected. But what was Christ's reaction to being rejected? Verse 25, what does it say there? I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And this is amazing. This is why context is so important. Because the context was he was being rejected. And in the midst of that rejection, Christ's reaction is, I praise you. I praise you, Father. This is amazing. So much here we can take as both biblical principles and application that even in rejection, Jesus worships the Father. But as good Bible students, what does he worship him for? What does Jesus worship God for? What does he praise him for? Further in verse 25, that he has hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. That caused me to stop. He is praising God, worshiping God for hiding these things. What are these things? These things refer to deeds that would have led these people to repentance. And yet Christ is praising God that he has hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. And we know from the immediate context who this is referring to is these cities, these religious leaders. So it has been hidden from the wise and intelligent and rather revealed to infants. This is amazing. The sovereignty of God in salvation. This is, this is God's way. And not only is this God's way, it pleases Him. God the Father has handed over all things, verse 27, to the Son. We know from Matthew 28, all authority has been given to Christ. Christ is the only way. And those that would come to faith in Him are those whom He, Christ, wills. In other words, chooses to reveal him. This is an amazing mystery regarding salvation in this passage. 
is crystal clear with regard to the sovereignty of God in salvation. The mystery that those who are least likely, least likely to receive it are the ones that do. The infants. What are your saints? Draw these truths out in your minds. What is it saying? It's saying this. When you think about an infant, they are completely dependent, aren't they? Completely dependent. Infants are completely reliant, aren't they? They cannot take care of themselves. Matter of fact, if left to themselves, they will die. And we know the heart of Jesus when it comes to young ones. Think of Mark chapter 9, where, or Mark chapter 10, where, where the, this, the, the kids, the young people were clamoring for Christ. And we knew what the culture thought about kids. Because even his disciples were rebuking the kids for coming to him. Get away! You're useless! Get away from Jesus! Surely he has adults that he can minister to. And what did Jesus do? He rebuked the disciples. It even says there in Mark a word he used that, that's rarely used in Scripture. He was indignant. And he said, let the children come to me. Yes, this is a picture. Yes, this is an example. Yes, this is an analogy. But this is also reality. And truth is reality. That one must be born again. And this confused Nicodemus, if you remember. He asked, how can I be born again? How can I enter my mother's womb again? Because he was thinking physical. But Christ was referring to something spiritual. Something eternal. And that's the point. You can't do it. A child is helpless with nothing to offer. And it is these that Christ has chosen to reveal God. You know, this is where maybe some of you find yourself this morning. Feeling. Maybe even thinking that you can do it. That you can clean yourself up. Or that your knowledge about religious things is enough. Or that if you, if you do enough positive things on this column, and as long as there's more here than the bad column, I'm good. I'll be alright. Or you may even profess to know Christ. But it's just a pure intellectual knowledge because there's been no, there's been no life transformation. There's no victory over sin. There's no desire for righteous and holy things in your life. There's no desire for God. There's no desire for His Word. There's no desire to be around God's people and dear friend. You need to stop playing games with God. You know, if this is you, this morning, there's good news for you. Oh, for those of you who live for Christ, yet you're tired and weary, there's good news for you too. And it is in this context that we transition to our first point. Number one, come, read with me again, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the context of rejection come this amazing invitation from Jesus. Come 
to me. You see how hope is not lost. Christ is inviting you to come to Him. Not a, don't come to a, a religion. Not to come to a set of rules. Not to come to a denomination or a culture or a movement or anything else. No, Christ says, come to me. This, this verse, 28, one of the, one of the golden verses of the Bible. One of the most comforting words in all of Scripture, Jesus inviting you, come to me. Only He can make this claim. You know, only Christ can make this claim because He knows that only He can satisfy you. Only He can give you fullness of joy. And only He can fill that void in your heart that Pascal once said is God-shaped. That void in your heart is God-shaped because only God can fill it. This is why God is a jealous God. And, you know, what's unfortunate is the way the world views jealousy is that there's a resentment. There's envy over someone else's success or whatever their situation is, that there's hate. That's jealousy. But no, it's the complete opposite in Scripture. When God says He's a jealous God, He's a jealous God because He knows that satisfaction and fulfillment can only be found in Him. That hope and life and peace, joy purpose, a clear conscience, rest, and so much more can only be found in Him. So why would you go anywhere else? Why would you give your worship to anything else other than Him? So He's jealous for that. Because He knows where you need to go. And all this will do without giving Him the worship that is due Him, will lead you to a spiral. It would lead you to be tired and weary because He knows what's good for you. And what's good for you is Him. So He's jealous for you. And Jesus says, come. The invitation here is deeply personal. He says, come to me. It's also very present as we take our time through this. We're going to dive right in this Invitation is very present because this word connotes an urgency. The word is written in such a way where there's urgency, pushing, come. In other words, come right now. In other words, come on. In other words, come here. In other words, let's go. There's no time to waste. Hurry up. Don't wait. Oh, this invitation to come is exclusive because Christ only gives you one thing to do. Do nothing else but just come to me. His message was always the same. This wasn't new here in Matthew 11. It was always the same. Come to me, John 6, 35. Come to me and never again hunger, John chapter 7. Come to me and never again thirst, John chapter 8. Come to me and never again walk in darkness, John chapter 11, come to me, Christ says, and never die. Come to me. And in our passage, it is, come to me. And I will give you rest. Come and find rest. Verse 28 again continues. Come to me. Who though? Who? Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. You know, the kind of rest Jesus is speaking of here isn't the kind of rest, you know, you could get on your sleep number bed, <laughs> as comfortable as, as those are. It's not the kind of rest you feel even after getting eight hours of sleep. And it's not even the rest you get after maybe taking some melatonin. This is salvation rest. Soul rest that Jesus is offering and inviting you to. And what's amazing about this invitation is this invitation is general. And it's universal. Because it says there, all. Come to me, all. And all means all. You don't even need to know Greek to know what all means. All means all. Everyone. However, in the wisdom of God, in the mystery of God and salvation, in the present context that all, though universal, is in a sense restricted. Restricted to those who are weary and heavy laden. It's universal all, yet restricted to those who are weary and heavy laden. Weary, it means you are exhausted. You know, being weary, it's not so much the the work itself, like the physical thing you're doing, but it's the effect of it. The effect of what you're doing. You, you labor, you toil, you grind it down. You're physically worn out. You've, uh, you've exerted great effort and you have nothing else to give. You've exercised so much, you actually want to throw up. You want to throw in the towel. You know, there's a common saying that I'm sure many of you have either said or heard, certainly heard, but you've probably even said this after a long day's work or maybe after a long task. Or it's just been difficult. You've exerted yourself to the max. You've probably said, man, I'm beat. Or I feel beat up. That's this word. Weary. You know, figuratively it means you've lost heart. Given up. You're an emotional wreck. Spurgeon says this about being weary. In the service of formal religion, in an attempt to keep the law or in any other way of self-justification. In the service of self to get gain, honor, ease, etc., in the service of the world to discover, invent, legislate, etc. In the service of Satan, lust, drink, infidelity, etc. End quote. So are you weary? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Meaning you're overburdened. You're overloaded. This word pictures this ship that is too heavy and it can't sail. I still remember early in my Air Force career, I'd be put in charge of a payload that would go onto an aircraft. And it could be whatever. Actually, the, the item itself was irrelevant. All I was trained to do was worry about the weight. That's it. It could be people, food, helicopters. It did not matter the actual item. My assignment was clear. Here's the max payload of this aircraft. And if you go one pound over it, it's too heavy. Airplane can't fly. It's going to make it very difficult to even move. And that's this word. Fortizo. 
You're heavy laden. You can't move. You're, you're weighed down and it's going to get a little technical here, but I want to give this to you because God's word, God's word is a, is a fountain of living water. You just want more of it. This word is written in the perfect tense. So what does that mean? Perfect tense. It means this. It describes something in the past that was completed and it keeps going today. Something happened in the past that is completed, but yet has ramifications today. Much like justification. You are declared right. The moment you place your faith on Christ, He declared you righteous, and that has ramifications throughout your life. So this word, heavy laden, it's in that perfect tense. What is it trying to tell us? It's trying to tell us that at some point, you became heavy laden and weary. At some point, that happened. And it has ongoing effects through today. It keeps going. You are still weary. You are still heavy laden. Why? Because the context tells us you keep trying to go at it on your own. MacArthur says, quote, heavy laden suggests the external burdens caused by the futile efforts of works righteousness, unquote. Such is our condition. Such is even the American dream. That if you work hard enough, anything is possible. That it's all up to you if you simply put your mind to it. You are the end all, be all. Now in terms of maybe a task you're given or a project or even school, yeah, work hard. Work hard and the consequence of that should be good grades or success. But what we're talking about here is soul rest. And that's not up to you. You know, Christ had some words to people who thought this way. They thought it was up to them. John 5.39, you, same audience, okay? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Verse 40, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And scripture is even doubly clear, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you know this. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, if you think about many different examples of people within Scripture, the woman with the bleeding, she blew all her money, spent it on all these doctors trying to get healed. But what happened? The bleeding continued. She was the same. Nothing changed because she wasn't going to the great physician until she did. And then the bleeding stopped. She was healed. And you know what's sad are, you know, there's churches, plenty, more than I care to even admit, who do nothing but preach sermons, if, if you can even call them sermons, probably more appropriate to call them TED Talks, full of practical application, full of felt needs, and they're usually short, and they're accompanied by jokes and stories and energy, but you don't hear anything of Jesus. 
And if you do hear something about Jesus, it certainly isn't the Jesus of the Bible. It's the version of Jesus, as Vadi Bakum once said, quote, that is painted in our culture today that is sissified and needy. It's some, some cool. It's some hip Jesus. It's a modern version of Jesus that is totally cool with homosexuality, totally cool with transgenderism, totally cool with shutting down his church during COVID because he's love. He's love. He, he understands. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a church I drive by on a, probably on a daily basis. And, you know, Natomas is, well, Natomas is getting larger, but it's still, I guess, small. So I'm just driving, whether I'm running errands or coming here or even going to work, getting on the freeway or something like that. And there's a church I pass by all the time. And I have to pray when I pass by this church and ask God to help me. Because I get so mad. Because the mission statement of this particular church is so we can dream together. And dream the dreams of God. And man, I'm holding my steering wheel. I'm just going to turn in this church and tell them this is not the Jesus. And the reason I get so upset It's not because it's pithy or nonsense or trying to get way too cute with semantics. It's not even that. It's, I see people walking in there and you're not helping them. You're not helping them. Because they hear nothing of Christ's work. They hear nothing of Christ's person. They hear nothing of his holiness and righteousness. They not even hear the clear biblical gospel that you, me, All of us have been created to not worship ourselves, but to worship God. But we've done anything and everything except that. We think of ourselves too highly, that Christ is the Word become flesh. He's lived the sinless life. He died the death. We all deserve to die. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He tabernacled amongst men so that He would save all of whom the Father would give to Him, As a gift, and Christ died, he resurrected, he ascended, and now he's seated on the throne. And none of that is heard. None of that is heralded. And this is why we don't see any change. The depressed person walks in, and they're going to walk out depressed. The angry person will walk in, and when all of the fun and all of the smoke, literally, all of the smoke, and figuratively, All the smoke clear. They leave the service. Nothing has changed. Because Christ crucified was not preached. And this isn't new. People want to be entertained. And this was the same back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because Jews, as Paul was preaching, Jews asked for signs and Greeks searched for wisdom. And Paul's like, no, I preach Christ crucified. Why do you want your ear, ears tickled? They didn't want Jesus, so being heavy laden remained. As I've already referred to plenty, the Jews in this context, in Matthew, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they were weary and they were heavy laden, but they denied that they were. 
They denied it. They were good all unto themselves. They had everything they needed in their laws, in their legalism, in all their do not touch, do not eat, do not work, Sabbath rules. You know what they were actually doing? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Here's what they were actually doing. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 4 says this. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens. And lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So dear church, are you tired? Dear friend, are you, are you just sick of to-do religion? Checkbox religion. And if you are, then Jesus invites you. Come. Come to me all. And the reality is, if you don't believe that you are weary and heavy laden, if you don't believe that you are needy, then you won't come to Jesus. Because if you don't believe you need Him, then you're not going to want Him. Because you don't think you need Him. We all have sinned. Romans 3, we just heard multiple sermons on that recently. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God... Is eternal life in Christ. J.C. Ryle says this about all. Quote, this all is God's all-merciful antidote for the horrible all of Romans 3.23, where Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, but with the all, he flings open the gates of salvation to sinners from every tribe, every tongue, every people, Every nation, and Ryle continues, as a Gentile believer, I praise God for this all from the lips of the Redeemer of mankind, unquote. This is the one. This is the one who is inviting you to come. And what's amazing also is that Christ doesn't actually even comment on the text regarding how you got to be where you are. Christ doesn't comment on how you got to be where you are, bad decisions you've made, people you've hurt, your failures, your upbringing, your surroundings, or whatever else. Christ didn't bring any of that up. He simply says, are you weary and heavy laden? Because if you are, then he says, come. Come to me. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Starting in verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me 
and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Jesus did not come for the spiritually well. No, he came for the sick. You know, if you truly want to come to Christ, then you must admit that you are burdened with the weight of sin. That you pursue this world, you pursued anything and everything that is not Christ and that has caused you to be weary and there must be this realization in your mind that whatever it is that is burdening you, whatever it is that is causing you to be weary and heavy laden, there is a realization that Christ is better than all those things. He's better. So Christ says, come. And much like any invitation that any of us would get, maybe to a party or a wedding or whatever, are you going to RSVP with him? He's inviting you. And there's a response being asked. Are you going to come? And dear church, coming to him, Christ says, there is something he will give you. So coming to him, he's going to give you something. There is a benefit coming your way by coming to Christ. It says there, back in our text in Matthew 11, says he will give you rest. And we know he is speaking of physical rest because down in verse 29, it elaborates the kind of rest Christ gives. It says it is rest for your souls. You know, original translation, this is literally written to read this way. I will rest you. I will rest you. Rest here means to be refreshed. Rest here means to end an argument. It means to let a field grow follow. Rest here pictures a commander ordering his troops to stop. To command to halt. To parade rest. You know, there's a, well, a few years ago we've done it and it's happened every year since. And a few men, even now, will go backpacking here in a little bit. I just remember doing that. You've got 40 or so pounds on your back, carrying it for hours at a time. And then when you finally take it off, right, the relief, the, the respite, the unburdening, that's what this word is referring to in a spiritual sense. And this is something he will give you, dear church. Not he might give you or he could give you. No, something he will. He will give you. And Christ is the only one who can speak in absolutes. You can have certainty that this will happen. You come to Christ... Acknowledge your weariness and being heavy laden and he will give you rest. And if you want a deal, like this is a deal. This is a deal of a lifetime. This is a deal for eternity and there is a call to come and there's the condition for coming that you are weary and heavy laden and then now there's the consequence. Rest. Rest, our great God can do this. He can offer you this rest. And this is why he can offer you this rest is because he never stops working. John 5, 17, just listen. 
my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus came to give us give us himself because he when you are weary and heavy laden, you know what your soul is desperately searching for is peace. It's searching for rest. And that's found through the hope that Christ gives. And this rest is eternal, so much so it transcends even death. Because Christ just doesn't give you rest in death. Christ also gives you rest in life. He says of himself, I am the way, truth, and life. Yes, this life. This life right now that you're living. This life that's hard. You know, this life that's full of disappointment for you. This life that's full of frustrations. This life that's full of tears and and sorrows. This life, this body with bad backs, migraine headaches. Yes, even this life. Even living in California with high gas prices and high gas and high taxes that we've all heard about, even living there, you can find rest. See, this is why through all the ages, through all of Scripture, God's people say things like this. Just write it down. For your admonition, for your own time in, in the God's Word and for your own study, Psalm 42 Verse 11. This is why through all of Scripture, people of God say this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Psalm 62. Verse 5 and 6. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Romans fifteen, thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. See, that's why the people of God can say those things. Because they have what one would say is a biblical worldview of where they can go to find rest for their souls, and if anxiety is weighing you down, whatever it is weighing you down, you are to cast it on Him. Because He cares for you. He cares. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. What promise? What promise for you? So we'll stop here. We'll finish next week regarding Jesus' other two commands to take and to learn. But I just want to conclude. You know, whatever it is you are trying to carry this morning. You know, in love, I want to, I want to tell you the truth. That you can't carry it. The load, whatever the load is, it's, it's too heavy. You know, we need to quit being like, like Atlas. <laughs> Seeing Atlas, just the world. 
on his shoulders. You just need to stop living that way. Because there is one who can carry it. Your worries, your fears, your guilt, even your griefs. Because remember, your griefs, he himself bore. Your sorrows, he carried. This is Jesus, the suffering servant. He's inviting you. Come to me. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are a tired and weary people. We are burdened. We are heavy laden. And we need rest. So I pray, Lord, that we be a people that find rest in you and in you alone. For you alone. You alone, God, are the one that provides the soul satisfaction the soul, eternal joy and pleasure. It's only you. So may we be a people that run to you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.